Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, welcome back to the second episode of the second season of Two Sharp Reds. Mark Schwarzer, did you ever think we'd get this far? No. No? Just bluntly, no. Yeah, no, no of course I did. Of course I did. Absolutely. Gotta have, got have self-belief, mate. Of course we did. Yes. We, we did. We knew deep down that we were always going to make it this far and beyond. Well, I think the friendship was the one thing that you know, we were undecided as to whether or not that would last. You know, the podcast, we know, will stick around to the end of time. But it's the yeah, friendship. It, has, it, has it lasted? I'm not sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, certainly <laughs> one side, one-sided it has. One of those very awkward moments, isn't it? And it one of the, yeah, and it doesn't help with the <laughs> Zoom lag there that we've just... <laughs> so uh, let's move on pretty swiftly. Looking forward to this episode of the Two Sharp Reds. Pretty much, I think we can all agree without looking at our notes, will be, be very much a bit of a Europa League and Champions League review. There's a few other big stories in the world of football. Firstly, though, uh, I'm sure you are on fire. I've been keeping up to date with you with your wines since you've been, uh, or since you've left the UK. It's been a couple of months now that you've not been at home, so you must have tried some serious... Uh, Beers, we know. We know you and Adriano have been trying the Portuguese beers, but you had a lovely bottle of wine today, I hear. I certainly did, mate. And it's like, I have to say, I mean, again, I've said to you many times before, going to Spain, love to drink my Spanish wine. Um, whenever you are in a country, you've definitely got to, got to try the local stuff. Uh, and this is a, a bottle of Protos Criantha 2016. Uh, delicious bottle and um, had, it with, had it with lunch and I have to say 11 euros menu of the day three courses Unbelievable. can't beat that can you That's and the, the food was fantastic and it's not like tiny portions big portions really really good value mate um, highly recommend that whenever you see it whenever you're in Spain menu of the day go for it it's brilliant oh. so this wine is a vintage has uh, offers a lot of volume Good capacity to face the passing of time with roundness and spectacular tannins. Mm, my mind's already ticking over. That could be anyone because I'm sure, as you know, uh, or if you don't know, if you're listening to the Two Shot Reds for the first time, we'd like to try our bottle of red and then compare it to a player, past or present. With that description already, Mark, my mind's just moving. It's racing at a million miles an hour. Yes. No, I, I am... I'm, I'm certainly doing the same. And I'm, I'm at the moment, I have no idea who I'm going to compare it with. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, I've gone for an Argentinian Melbeck from the Exquisite Collection, purely because of that name, the Exquisite Collection. I thought, yeah, that, that's a bit of me today. That's a bit of me. Just so you know, Mark, it's a podcast, so people won't be able to see you nodding if you don't say anything. I know that you're, you're new to the media world, but just uh, your words, words help. Well, no, I said, like I said, I think it's a fair word to describe you at times. Yeah. At, yeah. at times, that is. Consistency is a key, and it's a struggle that we, we try and 
you know, complete every day. And I'm just, I'm just a guy living his life, trying his best. So let's get stuck into the football because there's so much to talk about, Mark. Take your pick. Do you want to start with Europa League? Do you want to start with Champions League? It's a choose-your-own-adventure. Well, um, listen, let's start with the Europa League. That was the first one uh, mm-hmm. to be contested, the final on Friday night. Um, and uh, what a game it was. I mean, I, I, I think it exceeded expectations to a large degree. Um, however, you know, going into the final, you look at Sevilla, look at their path into the final. They just, they just like his side, you know, they obviously had won it five times prior to that. Their, their history in the Europa League is insane. They're, I mean, I've played against them and lost against them in 2006, which was their first Europa League title. And uh, they were an awesome team then. And they were kind of a bit of a rebuild. And Lapoteki has done a fantastic job there um, after his uh, horrendous experience with, firstly, with Spain. And then within, a, I think, three or four months period, he got sacked from Spain and then lost his job at Real Madrid. Um, and uh, it was pretty insane the way it happened. He seemed like a broken man, but he's, he's picked himself up, and you could see the relief and the emotion after winning the game against Inter Milan on Friday night. You know, he burst into tears, and it was, it was nice. To, it was in a, in a lot of ways, it was nice to see, and it was also nice to see how his team, how his players embraced him, how they, they, they clearly are a very, very tight-knit unit. I think you nailed that word there, relief, because it's not, it didn't, you're right, it didn't come across like it was a celebration or how amazing this is. Thank bloody God, this has worked out because I don't know about you, but I sort of relatively sort of forgot about that whole saga. You know, in the land of the World Cup, things are going and moving at a million miles an hour and you sort of tend to forget some of these storylines. But what a moment it was for him. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about, you know, the, the whole, that whole period of time when he was Spain's, national team manager leading up to the 2018 World Cup. I think it was two days before their opening game they sacked him because for whatever reason, and I think it was more ill-advised, maybe a little bit of pressure from Real Madrid, he came out and announced that he was, he'd become the manager of Real Madrid and he was leading his post post the World Cup uh, from Spain. And obviously there was an egos dented. Uh, the president of the FA, Spanish FA, was not happy about it. And he sacked him and it affected the team massively. And they never recovered from it. And I think general perception was that, you know, the fingers were pointed at Lapoteki for the, you know, the demise of the national team for the World Cup. And, uh, and then off the back of that, the pressure was on right from the off. And I don't think anybody gave him any, any, uh, any leniency whatsoever. They were after him right from the off. And at Real Madrid, I think it was only going to end in tears. And it did very, very quickly. So I'll ask you this then from Sevilla's perspective. Arsenal in the FA Cup. Liverpool in the Champions League, Sevilla in the Europa League. What is it about some clubs and some tournaments that they just seem to get? Is it a fluke or is there a system that works particular, particularly well for certain clubs? I don't, it's definitely not a fluke. You, you can't win the Europa League from 2006 to 2020. In that period of time, won it six times. And it's nowhere in the world. Yeah. They're, they're, they're obviously at a point where you know, you, you, they, know, they, know the, they know the tournament. They know what it takes to win games at that level. They are obviously geared to, to win over two-legged uh, games most of the time. Obviously, you've got the group stage to begin with. Um, they're, they're a side that almost, they, they almost go into the tournament with a, with a little bit of arrogance in terms of this is our trophy, this is our tournament, and we're going to win it. And if anyone's going to knock us out, they're going to have to play incredibly well to do so. And... Even when they don't play particularly well, they still find a way of winning. 
They just know how to win in the competition. So some teams are just really good at knockout sort of tournaments. I.e. Arsenal do well in the FA Cup. It's one of those tournaments that they obviously love to do well. And they love that knockout uh, kind of tournament. And, and, and that's exactly what happened with Sevilla. You know, they, they've, I think at times they've, they've knocked on the door of being in the Champions League. They have participated in the Champions League. And they did quite well. That was, I think it was the 2007-2008 season. They made it into the Champions League after winning their second Europa League final. And they did well. Um, for a couple of seasons and they drop back down the Europa League. So, you know, they're a side that, that kind of floats in between, but generally the, the Europa League is their tournament. Sort of into, I was about to call them into Miami for a second there. That would have been pretty loose if we just changed attack to, uh, to the MLS. <laughs> maybe that's a, uh, you know, for maybe the next episode, we'll, we'll get your thoughts on that. But into Milan, what's missing? Is there anything missing? Or do they just come against, as he's quite rightly said, a side that thrive off knockout football? Anything missing? I, I kind of, I also think that, I mean, Antonio Conte has done them no favours. I mean, the, the sideshow that goes along with him is incredible. I think if he's not in the spotlight, there's an issue. He has a problem with it. Then he, he seems to be just an angry little man all the time. He just wants to fight with everyone. Um, and and any time a manager takes on the ownership of a club, there's only ever going to be one winner. There's no way in the world that the manager is going to come out on top. And, and uh, you know, towards the end, he did it at Chelsea and the same things happened now at Inter Milan. And, and there's talk, even shortly afterwards, he talked about, I don't know if I'm going to be the manager next week. We're going to have a meeting and we're going to discuss things. I can't tell you whether I'm going to be here next season or not. And I think he's just, he's positioned himself in such a place that he wants to be sacked. That's, that's the indication I get. And I think the distraction for the team, I mean, maybe a lot of the guys are probably used to it. It's been going on all season. Obviously, you've got the show on the sideline him practically playing the game from the sidelines. And as a player, I mean, any time a manager was that animated on the sidelines, I used to, I, I never enjoyed it. I, I was just like, listen, you give us the instructions, we go out there and try and fulfill those instructions. If we're not doing it, then change it. Yeah. You know, make, the, make the changes that you need to make. But give, give the players an opportunity to think for themselves, to go and play for themselves. So for me, it's all about himself. All he care, all he's doing it, he's doing it for him. He's doing it for show. He's not doing it for anything else. Um, because if anything, it has, I believe, that would have more of a detrimental effect on his team than any positive. Yeah. So that whole thing definitely doesn't help. Uh, you know, into defensively shot themselves in the foot. Um, you know, normally the Italians are, are very good in that in that department, but they they, they definitely fell apart against Sevilla and Sevilla you know, from very standard sort of positions, you know, score from set plays, you know, the younger player that failed to, to make it in the Premier League at Newcastle and, and, and was kind of almost laughed at in Newcastle with his players' performances to end up being at Sevilla, scoring two goals in the final. And yes, Lukaku did score two goals in the final as well. But unfortunately, one of them was for the opposition. Hey, if you're on the score sheet, you're on the score sheet, Mark. Nothing wrong with that. Well, well yeah, there kind of well, is. Maybe there is, <laughs> yeah, there is because if, you, if your second goal is the one that actually, you know, you know, ends up being the goal that uh, you lose the final with. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm not blaming him for it whatsoever. No, I mean, even though it's going wide, he, it's a reaction, and he thinks that he needs to clear it, and 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 it just he kind of goes for it half-heartedly. I think he changes his mind really late by the looks of things. Now, from the the pantomime of a manager, as he sort of touched on with Conte, would you not say though? It, it can work in your favour. Like some of the best managers, like a Jose Mourinho, is 
totally like that. It, it is definitely no, the, the no, he's not, he's not. No, he's not oh. that extreme. He's not that extreme. No, no, no. No, he does. He's pu- pushing Arsene Wenger and he's getting up in people's grill and he's, you know, yeah. he's, come on. But th- there are moments. There are moments in games. So if you watch Conte, he does it for 90 minutes. Right. He's, he's, he's actually moving around his six-yard box and, and calling every position almost, like telling players to move, close down, move there, move here, you know, tackle. He, he's, he's, he's coaching the game as it goes on. He's telling people what to do. And whereas Jose does that to a degree, like any, most managers do, he probably does it a little bit more than most managers. He's certainly more vocal at times on the sideline than other managers. And um, but it's nowhere near like Conte. You can't. I don't think you're competitive. Yeah, fair enough. Let's move on to the Champions League. It was a, you know, it was a, it was a, quite clearly a slim one nil victory to Bayern Munich. But it was a very enjoyable one nil victory. There were chances for both sides. I really enjoyed it. I watched it in uh, a walkabout pub in Brighton. And I don't know if you've. When was the last time you watched a football game at a pub? When was the last time I actually... What, is in a, an English pub, you mean? Oh, it doesn't um, have to yeah, be. I watched, I've watched, I watched a few of the games in, oh, in, in bars, restaurants you, over you, here. Are, somewhere you can understand yeah, well, what they're yeah. Well, I, I watched one of the, uh, the quarterfinal games. So I watched... Um, sorry, I watched... Yeah, I watched the quarterfinal game. So I watched PSG Atalanta from yeah. a bar. And it was full of Atalanta and PSG fans. And they were going crazy. With each moment of the game, obviously Atalanta fans were going absolutely crazy once they scored, leading the game for most of the game, and then PSG were pretty quiet. And then once PSG scored and scored two goals in quick succession, the place erupted and absolutely crazy. But actually, the 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 rivalry was a very friendly one, and they were very respectful to one another. So at various points, and I, and this was really interesting because I've not seen this be- before because you know the PSG fans and the Italian fans in general. I get generally a bad rap in terms of quite, you know, quite, uh, they can be quite uh, boisterous. They can be quite rough. And, and more often than not, they'll, they'll end up being a little bit of a disturbance. But in this case, they were absolutely respectful to one another. When one set of fans was singing, the others waited until they finished. The minute they finished, they then sang. And there was never any, there was never any over, overlapping and, and disturbing one another's singing. So it, it, was, it was very respectful. There was a lot of like turning around and acknowledging that that was actually happening. So it was, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty I, cool to see. I like it. Now, was there any respect going on in the Champions League final between... Well, I mean, obviously, there's no fans at the stadium, but yeah, I sort of got the vibe. You could sort of see on the TV, especially that, that middle stand, that there were more officials, more staff members, perhaps? Uh, yeah, there seems to be, uh, for the final, the most amount of non-media directly involved with football so like as in with the club so maybe they were involved maybe they were directors maybe they were uh, particular fans of the club I don't know I don't know what they were but there was a middle tier and there was quite a lot of people there by comparison to the, the semi-final and the quarterfinals uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that, that UEFA allowed more of the officials and more maybe there were sponsors I'm not quite sure but there was definitely more people allowed to, uh, to, to enter, enter the stadium what was the vibe like? Because it was a fantastic victory for Bayern Munich. They were absolutely loving it, as Hansi Flick said. I'm not sure when the party will end, because I, I don't know either. I don't think you'd want the party to end, Mark. That's, that's the problem. Well, the problem with them is that the Bundesliga is starting on the 18th of, uh, of September, so they haven't got a real lot of time. They'll probably get a little bit of extension. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure, actually. I don't even know 100% whether they, they do start the first round or whether they, they have a little bit of an extension on, on the break. 
Um, but so they can't. I mean, that's the thing about football, and even more so in, in, in this day and age, the, because of COVID, is that there is even less time to enjoy these moments. Yeah. And of course, they're going to have to be able to enjoy it for the next couple of days at least. Um, but that's the whole thing, and, and that's what happens in football and any sport is that the moments you actually get to to enjoy those special occasions are generally not very long. And then all of a sudden, you're already the attention is turning to the next season, to the next game. And, uh, and you've and you kind of got to get back down to business pretty quickly. And I assume it takes a certain person to mentally be able to do that. You know, some people might be going, it's I'm not tough. ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of like being in a World Cup you know, or a European Championships, I can imagine. Definitely the World Cup is that you're in a, you're in a, you're in a, a sort of controlled area. Um, you know, they're in a camp. They've been in camp for like over, over two weeks now. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming like particularly... Uh, the, the PSG players, the Bayern players, because PSG obviously the, the league uh, finished. I think it was already. I think it was halted in March, uh, and they and they declared the season uh, ended. Uh, the Italians, I think, they had a couple of weeks off before the beginning of this tournament. Bayern had about five weeks off. Why, in terms of no Bundesliga games, the season ended about five weeks prior. So I'm sure there would have been a lot, a lot of sort of camps, gatherings, games leading up to this uh, this mini tournament here in Lisbon or in, in Lisbon. And um, so the guys would have been together for a long period of time. So I can imagine afterward, it was a case of it's almost like being in a World Cup mm. in that camp environment, locked away. And it's mentally draining. Not only is it physically very draining, but it's mentally very draining. Well, Obviously, they've got, they've got the, the euphoria of winning the tournament or winning the, the cup, but there's still a point of you need a break they, and they're going to need a break to recharge the batteries. Absolutely. And I think we all have to take our hats off because it was about, well, I want to say, eight weeks ago that you said on this very podcast that you thought Bayern Munich were going to win. So I bet you were quietly pleased with that. Uh, and you just have to say a big congratulations to them because people were criticising the fact that uh, they're like, oh, you know, yeah, they, they look good, but they're not playing great, you know, other, other teams. Like in the Bundesliga, when they were on that really awesome stretch home, really the, the toughest game they probably had to play was against Dortmund from memory. It was a little while ago now. And then they were thinking, you know, some of the other sides like, you know, um, like a Manchester City, that, you know, they don't have the breaks. So they've got the momentum. How brilliant's that? And Bayern Munich, but they've come over that. And then they've beaten some big teams. And you just look at them and you go, this is one awesome club. Awesome is the only word I can think of right now. Yeah, I, I was... That was my only reservation about whether Bayern would go and win the Champions League. At the time, I did say it. I said, and no one else was playing. So it's a big call. And I said that in current form, Bayern are, for me, the favourites. And, and it was taking into consideration the form that some of the, the teams had had leading up to it as well. So, so obviously, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not a real great way to, to judge it. I just felt that Bayern were playing so well. And my, but my only reservation was the fact that they had about five weeks off before playing. So the season was, had ended. And then before they began the mini tournament in Lisbon, it was about a four to five week period. And that was my, my concern. And I thought the teams like the Spanish, the Italians and the English were going to have a slightly a slight of advantage by, by continuing on almost their seasons. Uh, but it wasn't to be, you know, and, and the, the, the two teams... Um, well, actually, the four teams in the semi-finals were, were the two Germans and two French teams, and they're the ones that had the biggest breaks. Now, let's talk about PSG. Um, I feel, I mean, it's quite clearly the elephant in the room when we're talking about PSG. We have to talk about Neymar. I feel bad for the, feel bad for the guy, really, because, you know, there's, there's 10 other people on that pitch. 
Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough not to talk about him. I was really disappointed with some of the criticisms about him. Um, you know, uh, name a better, no, what was it? Name a bigger waste of money, I heard. I went, oh, that's a bit stiff. I'd, you know, he wasn't, he didn't damage the, the game, but he, he had his moments. And then ripping into him for crying. I mean, what was, that's all, I, I yeah. would be more annoyed at him if he didn't cry. Because they go, well, right, oh, oh. he doesn't care. I, I just think that, you know, a lot of these guys, whether it's Neymar, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Paul Pogba, you know, whoever you talk about, these guys are very prominent footballers. They're guys that spend a lot of time on social media. They're, they're always posting things. They're, they're, it's this, it's this, their, their social media pages are world-class. Mm. And then it's almost like you fly, well, certainly feel like, okay, that's brilliant, but now back it up with performances and do it regularly. Yeah. Neymar was very good up until the final. I thought, I thought he had a very good mini tournament in, in Lisbon. Um, and there seemed to be a real change of, of kind of attitude amongst the whole group of players from PSG. And apparently, and I, and I spoke to a few people about it um, within, like one of the guys that's he's not directly within the camp, but knows the players really, really well, works for PSG TV. And we're, we're having this discussion about what has changed. And he said, there's a couple of things. One of the main things is there's, there's two people, basically, Pilos Navas and and, and, and Herrera, Herrera. They're unbelievable around the group. They're very well respected, but they're also, they're, 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 they're two players that have got this ability to really pull the team together. Mm. And it's all about teamwork. It's all about togetherness. And it's something that you probably could criticise PSG the most about, just full of individuals, but not a real team or a real collective. And they were able to, and it happened after they lost the first leg away to Dortmund in the Champions League, 2-1. I think it was in the round of 16. Then they drew at home, or they drew, sorry, 4-4 with uh, Amins, Amins, I think they're called. And then they beat, uh, I think it's Bordeaux, they beat 4-3. So they went through a, a really sticky patch. And then a couple of days after the game against Dortmund, uh, there was a party, and I think it was a birthday party combination, Cavani. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Di Maria and all the PSG players were there. And Cavani, um, Neymar were dancing together. A lot of the guys had their shirts off. There was, there, were, there was social media posts made and Neymar, uh, sorry, Navas was saying, this is what team spirit's about. This is how you be, build a team and a, and a very successful team. So it was a kind of a moment um, that supposedly had a big influence on, on the direction of the team. And they, they kind of sat together afterwards uh, and apparently had lunch at uh, Varadi's Italian restaurant in, in central Paris. And it was about, right, we, want, this is, we, we need to win the, the Champions League. This is, this is what we're all here for. And it's the one trophy that's eluded us. And, you know, we're under so much pressure to do so. And the only way we're going to do so is by working together. And the one, that's the one thing that, that we've been missing in this team is, is, is togetherness, teamwork. And it was about Neymar 
and Mbappe also opening themselves up more to their teammates. Mm. And, and I think that happened and it looked pretty obvious. And particularly after the semi-final, the celebrations, the, the quarterfinals against Atalanta, the comeback, they showed real skill, real, real grittiness and determination to, to, to stick together. And the only thing I'd say is in the final, it kind of, after they went one down, it kind of came back to a little bit of normality. There was a bit more of individualism in the team again. And they lost their way a little bit. Neymar, Mbappe, uh, Di Maria didn't perform at the levels that you'd expect them to, to perform or how they had performed previous to that. So there was that. And I think there was a lot of disappointment around that. And, and I kind of understand why people point their finger very quickly at Neymar. The way he dives around, the minute he gets touched on a football pitch, he dives. And he didn't do it a lot in, in this mini-series mini in, in, in Lisbon. But in the final, he did it again. And I actually think Di Maria particularly was very, very lucky, not at the very least to get a yellow card, if not potentially being sent off in the first 10, 15 minutes for the elbow that he did on, uh, that he did yeah. on Alfonso Davies. The referee, and, and that's what I don't understand, because you know, in the stadium there's, no, there's hardly anyone there. You can hear everything. So the referee is shouting and going, hey, I saw that. And he goes over to him, I saw you elbowing. And I'm thinking, if he's seen him elbowing, surely that at the very least is a yellow card. And yeah. he's actually given him nothing. So I, I think there were moments in the game where they lost their head a little bit. They were trying to fight with Bayern too much. Paris was doing it afterwards. And I think it worked against them. They lost their heads a little bit. Bayern were just very cool, calm, stuck to their guns. And uh, they, they outmaneuvered them. They, they, you know, again, they outmaneuvered them to a degree, but they also, they rode their luck. Mm. I mean, PSG had unbelievable chances, didn't take them. Bayern had a few good chances as well. They could have scored more. So, I mean, the game really probably could have easily ended up 3-3, to either side, probably more likely PSG because the amount of chances they had. And and not just half chances, golden opportunities. I thought Manuel Neuer was exceptional. I also just saw your your eyes light up in anger when talking about Di Maria elbowing your boy, Alfonso. No (laughs) one does that. No, not on Mark's watch. It's just like... for me, it's like, it's petty, it's gutless. It's like anyone, you know, it's just a butt play thing. You know, it was like, he was trying to provoke something. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty silly because it was right in front of everyone. And, I, and I, like I said, I still don't understand how he, how he didn't at the very least get a yellow card. Halftime drinks here on the two sharp reds. Mark, we talked about this, I want to say, oh, maybe eight, ten weeks ago in the show. It's the dreaded word that now um, both all severe and... Uh, by Munich fans will not want to hear or certainly won't want to talk about. Uh, that word is asterisks. Now that everything's been completed, should there be, or in our minds, will there be an asterisk to these winners? We've saw no second leg. You said yourself, it doesn't feel like a tournament. Uh, sorry, it doesn't feel like a you know, genuine, you know, it's not the semi-final. It's, bit, you know, it's not the final. I, I actually think there is a little bit of an asterisk, you know. I didn't think I'd think like that, but I thought to myself, Hmm. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't quite feel the same. Well, yeah, there'll, of course there'll be an asterisk, but the asterisk will only state that you know. Listen, it was a completely new format due to the pandemic. Um, everyone was in the same boat. Well, I say everyone was in the same boat. No, they, they weren't because in terms of whose whose seasons continued, i.e., the French didn't. Uh, the Germans finished earlier. Um, the Italians, the Spanish, the the English continued on. 
and which turned out to be detrimental to their performances within within the mini series. I have actually no problem with it. You know, it's, it, it'll be the asterisk will just state that it's a, that it was a new format due to a pandemic. Um, I, I actually really enjoyed it, and I actually think fans would have loved it if they were being able to go to the games for all of those teams and all those games to be in one city over a course of nine or ten days. It's like a mini European Cup. It's a mini like you know Euros. There's a mini World Cup of club teams, all these fans. I mean, the atmosphere would have been incredible. And I, and I, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, I do love going to stadiums. I do love going to the various cities. I think, you know, the home and away legs, it's often it's very tactical. The first game will be a tactical game. And it's all preparing for that second leg, particularly the teams playing away from home. Yeah, it's a very different format and it gives teams different, different varieties of opportunities to, to either... You know, to stay in the, in the competition, to progress in the competition, whereas a single game knockout in a neutral venue is it, it, it's a it's like it's like being in a boxing ring, I suppose, and, and literally having a proper street fight there and then, and you know, it's last man standing, and that's it. Totally, I understand the, the good things about it, but all I'm saying is your boy Lewandowski would have broke he would have broken Ronaldo's record if he had a few more games under his belt. So there's a few do, things there. Do you bother about that in terms of he's won, he's won the Champions League? So do you think he's really that bothered he hasn't, you know he hasn't what? won? I think he would be because someone that good thrives off that kind of thing. I think he would yeah. be sitting there going, no, no, no. Well, next season, I'm doing both. I'm getting, I'm getting that medal again and I'm also getting that record. Well, then, then it makes it even more exciting. It gives him more of an incentive to pick himself up and do it again for next season. So, so, I mean, I think at the beginning, if, if you'd said, right, listen, you, you're going to score 54 goals yeah. this season in all competitions. Yeah. Uh, you're going to go on to be, I think, the second highest goal scorer in the Champions League in one season. Uh, Bayern's going to go through winning every single game mm-hmm. and you're going, to win, you're going to win the European Cup, you know, the Champions League. But you're going to miss out on, 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 on being the all-time goal scoring record in one season. How do you feel about that? I think he'd bite your hand off. Yeah. So you touched on the Euros. Uh, I'm afraid that our, that our boys are going to burn out here, Mark, because we know the Premier League's back on the 12th of September, but the Community Shield's also just around the corner for Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, and then obviously then you've got the season. Then you've got the Euros, the Coppers. Um, I think possibly the African Cup of Nations is on next season. But you're just starting to think, oh, jeepers. This, well, by, the end of, by this time next year, the amount of soft tissues, I'm telling you, it's got to it's got to take effect at some point. Well, listen, Liverpool and Arsenal have had plenty of time off now to recharge their batteries. Mm-hmm. You know, not been any any league competition. They've had time off, so charity shield is not going to be an issue, right? Right. The problem is, yeah, the congestion in terms of playing the playing the you know nation league. Playing qualifies still. There's still the playoffs to be played for the Euros for next season. Mm-hmm. You've got, like you said, so you've got the Nations League take, starting up, the playoffs still. Then you've got club domestic competitions, cup competitions, European, the Champions League again, Europa League, um, end of season, Euros, Copa America, the Olympics next year. Yeah. There, there is, it's an incredible fixture list on the calendar. And the teams that are going to cope best is the teams of the biggest depth. In, in, in their squads. Um, and that, that goes without saying again. It's almost like, you know, it's kind of the advantage like having a five-man five, five substitution rule. You know, you, the teams with the biggest squads are just certainly going to be the ones that are going to benefit. There's no doubt about it for me. Uh, the Community Shield, you'd be, uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want, obviously, my Arsenal to win. That's, that's only natural. 
But do we care? I think I think this every every year. Do the players care? Arteta probably would, because oh. if he can back up yeah. an FA Cup and the Community Shield, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, and listen, it's a trophy. Would Arsenal would Arsenal prefer to lose a Community Shield and finish in the Champions League position? Absolutely, they would be. They would. But it's a trophy, and I, and I think it. I think it sets the tone for the start of the season for, for either, either side. You know, for, for Jurgen Klopp and his team, it's, it's all the, you know, it's the momentum. It's getting off to the right foot, winning that extra bit of silverware again. They, they've cleaned up everything so far, pretty much. You know, obviously not, not, domestic, not the cup competitions, but in terms of domestically, the way they dominated the Premier League, you know, world club champions, you know, they were Champions League winners of last season. So now to start the new season with another trophy would, would I think... Just be that added bit of sort of uh, accolade to to their their trophy chest, uh, and Arsenal the same. You know, Arsenal would be an indication of intent. If they could beat uh, Liverpool, that'd be a great start. To, I think for confidence to say, you know what, we beat the runaway champions of the Premier League last season uh, in the Community Shield. Yes, it's Community Shield, but it's the first meaningful trophy of the season. Absolutely. Now. It's you know how much I love to get you to choose your own adventure here on the Two Shut Reds. We are starting to run out of time, so I've got two storylines here. You can pick one of them, uh, and the one we don't talk about, you know, we'll obviously you know, I'll, I'll shed some light on it if you're unaware. Mm-hmm. You can choose Harry Maguire and what's happened in his time in Mykonos, or uh, Mustiamini and his Turkish oh. side uh, dilemma and the fall through there. What would you like to touch yeah. on? Mark? Well, I, I'm I'm just gonna I, I want to talk about I'm gonna talk about Amini. Okay, I, I have to say something about Harry Maguire, and it's just like, what on earth is going on? Yeah, what a disaster! I mean, we don't know the full story, of course, but but madness of all people, Harry Maguire to be in the position that he's in, and and whether he's guilty or not guilty, but he's obviously guilty of something. Otherwise, yeah. he wouldn't be in the predicament that he's in. Um, and obviously for Manchester United and for Harry Maguire and England, they just want to get it sorted as quickly as possible. Um, disaster. I mean, for Amini, yeah, absolutely. Would I rather be Amini than Harry Maguire? 100%. <laughs> um, you know, and I, he's a talented young man, and I'm, I've got no doubt he'll, he'll get himself another club. So, uh, so what's actually yeah, happened here? He had a move lined up. He, from all reports, he signed. He, he signed, yeah. So everything was done and dusted, and then... What, what, what happened? Was there, there were restrictions on their transfer? Apparently, yeah. The, the, the club then found out, were notified that they actually are banned. They have a transfer embargo against them. Um, and therefore, they weren't able to sign any players. So even though they actually had signed them, it wasn't... It, what wouldn't have been signed off by the FA or at least approved then by, by UEFA. So therefore, the contract was uh, deemed null and void. And they were able to get out of it. I mean, I, it's my understanding of it. Um, and it, and it's, pretty, it's pretty devastating for the, for the kid. You know, imagine, you know, he's obviously had a successful season in, in Denmark. And uh, you would have thought that, you know, he, he would have thought this is a great move for him, the next step up. Packed up his life as well, Mark. Packed up, yeah, he's, got a, he's got a new little baby girl. He's, you know, the, the whole family's moved. And then all of a sudden, technically homeless. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible for him. But like I said, I think, you know, I'm pretty sure that things will sort itself out and, uh, and he'll find a club for himself very, very quickly. I mean, I've never been in that predicament before. Um, I know uh, one of my ex-teammates w- was in a similar predicament last season, Shinji Okasaki, when he, went, he signed for Malaga. Mm-hmm. Had his pictures taken, in the shirt, everything. Two days later, they cancelled his contract. And, 
there was some sort of issue, number of foreigners signed, and I don't know. I, I don't even know if it was true or not. Uh, if it was true or not, they managed to get out of it, and he ended up signing for um, uh, Huesca in the second division. Again, Malaga were in the second division as well, and Huesca got promoted into La Liga. Brilliant. So it all worked out perfectly fine for him, and now he's going to play in La Liga next season against the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, and he's just re- he just re-signed for another year. So there, there is an opportunity for, for things to work out. It's sure. just must be, because I'm re-watching the Leeds documentary, and I just finished the episode where Daniel James had, had signed, got his pictures taken, and then uh, the Swansea representatives just turned their phone off and went, no, we don't, we're, I'm not even going to give you the, the pleasure in saying no. I'm just going to turn my phone off. But that just must be, I'm poor. I mean, Musti. He will be fine, obviously. You know, like he'll, he'll get somewhere. But you just have to think now as well, because it was a really good move for him. And you go, this, well, this sort of, hopefully there's a, there's a nice story like Shinji, but, but what if not, you know, and he's got to sort of, you know, play player in a lower division and it really helps I mean, his development. Worst case, worst case scenario, end up back up in Denmark again. Because, you know, I'm sure he's got a very good name um, in Denmark, Scandinavia. So the worst case scenario, I believe, you'll end up somewhere in that part of the world. Um, and, and if that's the case, then he may be only there for a short period of time before, before another opportunity comes along. Um, it, it must be devastating for him. I can only imagine what he must be going through. Uh, but like I said, he's a talented young man, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'll, uh, it'll all sort itself out. Has he got a long Socceroos career ahead of him, do you think? Um, I hope so, because he just brings out something a little bit different uh, to the team. It's just, I think, you know, at times he's, he's, he's had to, to, to make his way into the team in Denmark, become a regular, perform well week in, week out. And then, then it becomes a, a formality that he's called into the national team. And, and, you know, I think he's got a big future out of himself. So long as he gets himself sorted, like I said, I think he will. And once he does that, um, I think he's got a big, big future out of him. Mark, I've absolutely enjoyed this. Argentinian Melbeck from the Exquisite Collection 2018. You've gone for a 2016, so always you're just two years better than me, but that's okay. I'll, I'll get there eventually. Uh, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Not, um, not, I'm not, not a fan of Argentinian wine, but generally stick to either Australian or European wines. Um, yep. So South American wines, um, yeah. I, I mean, you get a really good one, and they're unbelievable, like a real top shelf. Bright and intense, ruby red with youthful purple tints, aromas of fresh fruit, uh, a result in a high-altitude vineyard, which I think is quite interesting. Plums and blackberries uh, overlain. Ooh, overlain. What a great word. Oh, wow. Overlain. Wow. That's really nice. Very nice. With, with a subtle violet note uh, to give premium wine with great structure and a long, intensely fruity finish. Now, Mark, uh, in our opening uh, episode of season two last week with Adrian, I know Del Monte, you criticised um, my, my wine choice. Or not my wine choice, my player choice as to who I compared it to. That was more, that was more about your description. Yeah, you correct. Your, it was your lack of creativity in terms yeah. of your description. One and your side. comparison of a wine and a player. Just sort of one-dimensional kind of didn't yes. really offer too much. So I've been, I've been a little nervous. I think I've made a slight improvement this week, picking out some of those key words there. Uh, and mainly as well, I will say, as a, as a player that uh, played in the Champions League final, so it's fresh in my mind. But <laughs> this, this guy, uh, I mean, the, the, the purple tints 
uh, comes in the, the purple shoes. So it's just a tint and a hint of the purple. Uh, he wore beautiful purple shoes in the Champions League final. Very youthful, incredibly youthful, which this, this wine uh, and player absolutely is. But the, the key one here that I think uh, sums it up absolutely perfectly is the reason why this wine is so good and arguably the reason why this player is so good is because uh, the wine was made at a very high altitude and as was this player... Uh, with his uh, youth career at Monaco, as we know, uh, has one of the most beautiful training facilities in the world, but is incredibly high uh, altitude, which, you know, can be quite good for athletes. I hear you'd know more than I would uh, as to that, but I assume it does. And that, of course, is is young Kylian Mbappe. What do you think of that? I've got the purple boots, youthful, youthful and made at a high altitude. That's pretty good. It's a definitely a vast improvement on your previous performances, I have to say. I mean, it was the longest drawn-out uh, description that you've ever produced. Uh, so, yeah. No, listen. I mean, I was just I'll, nervous. I'll give you that one. I was just shaking yeah. the entire time. No, no, no. It, it, was, uh, it was definitely a step up from last week. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And I just hope that the, the, you know, the trajectory continues in an upward manner or upward fashion. Trajectory? In the coming weeks. Yes. Not the trajectory? Um, it, it, well, trajectory, yeah. Okay, trajectory. I mean, I, I, yes. whatever. It's been a, it's been a long day. Notch that day. one up, in been, the Oli, Oli column. <laughs> I've, I've been up since 4.30 in the morning, so it's been a long day already. Um, well, in that in mind, okay, um, my wine. Okay, so this vintage has a lot to offer. Uh, it has a lot of volume, good capacity to face the passing of time. Mm. And, and made me think, right? Um, spectacular tannins and there's, there's one player that kind of jumps out to me now uh, having, having a, a good long think about it passing of time um, the capacity to a good capacity to face the passing of time this is a player that has done it year after year it's continuously getting better with time and he's spectacular in many ways um, and, and he's also, this, what, this harvest is reminiscent of the late 80s and early 90s. This player is also a kind of a throwback from players from the 80s and 90s in terms of pure out-and-out goal scorers, like your Van Bastens. And, and this guy, of course, is Robert Lewandowski. Yeah. Or, or as Thomas Muller would say, Robert Lewandowski. Lewandowski. Did you, I mean, did you find that was an awkward moment? That was incredible. I absolutely adored it though. And then he, then he, then he had to explain (laughs) what it was. But because there was no real laughing in the room. And then the funny bit was he actually had to, he felt, he felt he had to explain it. Yeah. And it was, I I had a chuckle to myself. And that's a translation thing, isn't it? It's the second language. I think the two things that made that so funny were it was a pu- beautiful example and criticism of the, of the famous German wit and comedic timing that they sometimes criticise for. But also, Thomas Muller easily looks like the funniest person at Bayern Munich. Like, that's his thing. And then it felt like he thought, oh, no, I've lost my, I've lost my edge. You know, this is supposed to be my thing. I'm the funny one. Yeah, no, for, for me, though, nothing beats beep beep. It beats what? The beep? Beep beep. What's that? When he's given the quote, beep beep. He talks about oh. the roadrunner. Oh, he, like, he talks. He talks. <laughs> Alfonso Davies. 
Come on, what have no, you been? I, no, no, very good. I think I think at some point we need to change our message tones to both Robert Lewandowski and then the other one has Bibi. Bibi. I like it a lot. Yep, oh, uh, I agree. Well, thank you, Mark. Thoroughly enjoyed that episode of the Two Sharp Reds. Hope you enjoyed your time in Lisbon uh, for the Champions League. Uh, I, I believe you're back in Spain, but I'm sure we'll have you back on the English soil pretty soon and we can enjoy the beautiful mother's milk that's just been sent from Adelaide over to London, been sitting on my wine rack, winking me in the eye. I haven't touched it for, uh, you know, because it's going to be a pretty special time when we get to, to do this in person. Um, but I look forward to it. <laughs> look forward to it, mate. Um, and thanks for finishing off the show because normally that's my job and you've just taken over again. But you're anyway, too tired today, live. though. You've been yeah, victoring right. all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. See you next week. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.